Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Genesis, chapter 37. Today we are beginning a new series called Not Your Average Joe, and it's life lessons from the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And so this, uh, this man's story, or uh, the story around him that's centered on him, but it's more than just about him, it stretches from Genesis 37 uh, through the very end of the book. And so we'll be taking a look these next few weeks at Genesis and at, at what um, God has to say to us uh, through the book, of, uh, through the life of Joseph. And you'll notice uh, in your inserts you have a place for a, a sermon outline on one side if you want to take notes. But on the other side there's the 12 tribes of Israel. And we're going to pick up and look at that in just a moment uh, after we begin and after we read. So stand with me now. Genesis 37 beginning in verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph bought, brought a bad report to them, to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children. Because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed have reign over us? Or shall, they indeed have, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. And said, Look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon... And the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Let's pray. Lord, take now these words from your holy scripture. and We pray that the inspiration that went into them would be matched now. Uh, by the illumination of your spirit, as you shine your light on your words and teach us and draw us closer to you. We pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. One thing that people often tell me as they describe uh, their personal walk with the Lord and their scripture reading or their attempt at scripture reading is they often say, I do pretty well until I get to the begats. And when I get to those begats, whew, I just, 
It just throws me all off, or I have to just skim over them or skip over them. And, and, and those begats don't seem all that important to us, uh, but they were there for a reason. In fact, in the book of Genesis, uh, you may or may not understand that uh, Moses used the begats as a way of organizing the whole book of Genesis into sections. There are 11 of what the Hebrew word is toldoth, which says this is the generation of or this is the history of. There's 11 of those segments in the book of Genesis, and each time they appear, they describe a new section, a new focus for the book of Genesis. And here when we get to chapter 37, we see one of these. And it's interesting because we're about to hear focus on Joseph more than any other character for the next several chapters. And yet, this does not say this is the history of Joseph. But when you look at verse 2, it says this is the history of Jacob, his father. So in other words... Moses is telling us through this scripture, he's saying, listen, I'm about to give you a big story, and I'm going to focus on a man named Joseph, but really this is all about how Jacob and his descendants, and what was Jacob's other name that God gave him? Israel. Here's how Israel was delivered. Here's how I worked through an ordinary man, and I changed history from there on. So if we're going to understand the life of Joseph, we have to do just a little bit of backtracking, and we have to understand the life of his forefathers before him. And that's where this handy-dandy little chart comes in. If you want to pull it out, you can. You don't have to look at it, but it might help you. We go back on this chart. It begins with Abraham and Sarah. And uh, we remember they were the ones that God made the covenant with, the promise. He said, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham believed him. But yet after a while, as he kept getting older and older, and Sarah was getting older and older, and they said, the, the, the promise has never come, they said, we'll take matters into our own hands. And there was an Egyptian handmaiden that she had, and she said, hey, and this was a custom of the day. If a woman was barren, she could present her maid to the husband and say, have, have kids with this woman, and it'll be like they're from me. And they did that. Abraham went along with that plan, and... Ishmael was born. And so we have all the, the trouble that Ishmael brings later on and all the interaction we have there. But finally, the true child of the promise came. God um, blessed them in their very old age, and they did have a child, and that child's name was Isaac. So Isaac uh, finds a wife, or really his parents for him, finds a wife named Rebekah. And they have two children, Jacob and Esau. And there were some serious issues here, just like there was some crazy stuff going on with Abraham and Sarah. There was some crazy stuff going on in this family. It wasn't with another uh, woman involved, but it was with uh, a fierce favoritism. Mama had a favorite, daddy had a favorite. And, and, and everything, there was all kind of issue, all kind of dysfunction, and these twins... And it really set up their life for there to be this great problem between them. And we know that, that uh, Isaac, he, um, I mean, Isaac, and Isaac wanted Esau, Rebekah wanted Jacob. And they had this uh, big blowout between them where they would not see each other for a long time. So Jacob, otherwise, like I said, known as Israel, 
He goes off, he leaves, he gets out of town so that Esau, who wants to murder him because he stole his birthright and he stole his blessing, he leaves and he goes and finds some of his mom's family, where Rebecca came from. And he falls in love with a young woman. And this woman, boy, he, he just thought everything of her. He was so in love, he was so besotted. He went to the father, Laban, and he said, look, I, I want to marry Rachel, okay? And Laban said, um, he could see. And Laban was a tricky guy. Laban was the kind of get any advantage he could. He says, okay, work for me seven years, and you can marry her. The Bible says that he loved her so much, the seven years went by like that. It was like nothing to him. Sure, I'll be glad to work seven years from, for her. The wedding time comes. There's this whole bit of trickeration in here. There's this whole deal where Laban, he's really saying, hey, the oldest daughter, Leah, the one who's maybe not quite as pretty and, and he doesn't care anything for, she's the oldest. She should get married first. And he swaps the bride. And uh, under the cover of darkness, is under a veil, he doesn't know what's happened. He gets tricked into marrying the older sister, Leah. And, of course, he confronts Laban. He's so angry uh, with his father-in-law. What have you done? And he says, look, calm down, calm down. I'll give you Rachel, too. Uh, just, just, give, um, just you know, give her, Leah, a week to enjoy this wedding, and, and then I'll give you Rachel. Oh, and by the way, you'll work another seven years for me because you're getting another daughter, so that's only fair. And, and so he tricks him into doing this, works another seven years, 14 years, the debt's paid off, but he owes nothing. So he stays with him for about another six or seven years. And finally, he leaves, God's blessed him, and he leaves, and he goes and finds his way where he needs to be in the promised land. But now, all this family drama, all these issues going on, uh, they have not gotten any better. They've only gotten worse. You know, we, have, we think that we have a lot of dysfunction going on in our world today, right? Uh, there's shows like Sister Wives on TV. Well, we got literal sister wives here, okay? I mean, literally the fighting of sisters between them. And so the thing is, the unloved one, Leah, she wants to be loved. She thinks, what will make me fulfilled? What will make my husband love me? How will I overcome my sister? And there was this bitter rivalry between them. And she says... You know what? If I have lots of children, then he's going to love me more because I'm increasing his clan and he's going to be drawn to me. And so if you look at that little chart there on the left-hand side, Leah, the older sister, boy, things start happening regular there. I mean, it seems like she's getting pregnant every time you turn around. And so here's number one child, Reuben, and then Simeon, number two, Levi, number three, Judah, number four. All this time, her sister, Rachel, she's not having any children. And every time she sees her child, her sister have another child, and she is still barren and unable to bear any children, she's getting angrier and angrier and angrier. She's getting more and more upset. Finally, she says, you know what? I remember what somebody did in our history in the past. There's this little custom about, you know, you're made having children for you. And so I'm going to try that deal, and maybe I can catch up to my sister that way. So then you see over there under Bilhah, Rachel's servant, 
she's able to get pregnant, and that's child number five and child number six. Well, on the other hand, Leah says, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm not going to let her get ahead of me this way. Because at this point, she wasn't seeming to have any more children. She says, I've got a maid, too. I've got a servant, too. And so she presents her maid. Uh, (laughs) The Bible never says what Jacob thinks about all this, but I, I, I don't know what he thought. It had to be an interesting situation. But he goes along with it no matter what. And so Zilpah, Leah's servant, has child number seven and child number eight. Well, then, if that wasn't bad enough for Rachel as her sister gets more ahead of her again, then all of a sudden, Leah starts being able to bear children again. So she has child number nine, son number nine, Issachar, and son number 10, Zebulon. And on top of that, she finally has a daughter also named Dinah. Well, Rachel finally is able to conceive children on her own. Joseph, this first child of of Rachel's, natural child of Rachel's, And then finally, child number 12 is Benjamin, and he is the one where she basically dies in childbirth. As soon as the child is born, and she's thinking, wow, I've got another son, things are great, and then she falls prey to uh, some illness there, and she loses, or she keeps the child, but that's the end of her. She passes on. Now, why do we go into all this? Well, the sermon today is called Dreams and Dysfunction. As we look at what happened in this story, that background helps us to understand why Joseph's brothers hated him so much. There was all this craziness going on in the family, all of this dysfunction, all of this trouble going on. And all of that stuff in the background would have been enough already. But then what happens makes it worse. We find out that Joseph is the favored child. He's the the golden child. He's the teacher's pet. Uh, He's the one everybody oohs and ahs over, okay? Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. Uh, He's the, the next to the youngest, and he was the youngest for quite a few years between he and Benjamin, and everybody is all about Joseph and, 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 oh, he's so smart, oh, he's so good-looking, and all these different things about him. And he is clearly the favorite of the father Jacob. And so all these boys from four different mothers here, all of them know clearly that he does not have an equal love for all of them, but that he holds Joseph up higher and better than anybody else. So that's bad enough in the first place. But secondly, Joseph also decides he goes out on a, on a mission. He goes out on, a, on a, a job with some of his brothers. And he comes back to tell Dad, Daddy, they didn't do what you told them to do. The Bible says he gave them a bad report, or some translations say an evil report. He, he told, he snitched, however you want to say it, But these were, by the way, all grown men at this point. He was the youngest one, 17. The rest of them were all grown. And he starts telling tales on them. He starts tattling. So they already don't like him because he's the favorite. Now he's he's shared a bad report. And and so they, they don't like him even more than that. Then to make matters worse, 
the dad says, oh, by the way, uh, all the rest of you kids, uh, you're doing good, but I really think Joseph needs a coat. I think he re- needs a really fancy coat. Now, we call this the coat of many colors. Uh, different translations say different things, but a very ornate coat or a special coat or robe or tunic. Whatever you want to say is, he had the designer clothes. <laughs> he had the good stuff, and all the other boys are wearing hand-me-downs. And here you go. You get the best stuff. And you know what he does? He proudly wears that robe everywhere. It doesn't cross his mind that, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't advertise this too much. No, Joseph just goes around strutting. Look at this new coat that Dad got me. Isn't it nice, guys? Don't you wish you had one? Just imagine this going on. And the Bible says the brothers hate him even more. Well, hey, that's not enough. By the way, not only was he good-looking, not only was he intelligent and the favorite of one, oh, by the way, yeah, he had this supernatural uh, gift from God of having dreams and being able to interpret dreams. So he has this dream. And the dream is they're all out there in the field, and all of him and his brothers, they were all a stalk, okay? A stalk of grain, and, and his stalk was in the middle. And all the other 11 stalks were surrounding, and they all bowed down before him. Now, you know what? You don't, it doesn't take a great dream interpreter to figure out what that means. And so if Joseph was kind of, if he was a little bit tactful, if he was concerned about their feelings and sensitive to how they were upset at him already, you know, it might have been for him to say, oh, that's a good dream. I'm going to hold on to that, just kind of keep that quiet. But he's, no, 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 that's not Joseph. Joseph says, hey, fellas, guess what? You need to hear this thing I just heard, I dreamed last night. You're going to find it highly interesting. And he tells them this story. And like I said, they're no dummies. They're like, you mean we're supposed to all bow down to you and, and worship you? I mean, who are you? How full of yourself are you, Joseph? Well, he decides to pull that trick one more time. He has, God gives him another dream. And even though he might have should have had, you know, the previous experience kind of wised him up and said, you know, maybe I should keep those kind of dreams to myself. No, no, no. <laughs> this time it's the sun and the moon and the stars. And, you know, all of them end up worshiping him again. And this time he even tells it to his father. And, and his father Jacob is like, son, what are you thinking? What do you mean? You, you, you're coming up with this dream. I mean, it's obvious you're saying we're all going to bow down to you. And the Bible says that he kind of kept it in the back of his mind. He dwelt on it and he thought about it and said, you know, maybe this is something for real. But for the brothers, it only made them angrier. So, what does this tell us? We're not, all, we're not to all the, the action scenes yet in the, in the story of Joseph. Uh, we're, we're not to him almost dying. We're not to slavery. We're, we're not to imprisonment. We're not to temptation in Potiphar's house. We're not to him confronting his brothers. All those action scenes are still to come. But this first scene sets up what we know about him. And it sets up the life of Joseph, who we know God is going to use in a major way. So I want us to take away two things from this setup, this beginning to the story. Number one, God can use you no matter the dysfunction in or around you. God can use you no matter the dysfunction in or around you. We can't help but be shaped 
by our families. We can't help but be shaped by our, by our brothers and sisters, by our mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. We can't help but be touched by the environment around us. That is true. We, we can't escape that. And yet, the Bible is full of instances that tell us, look, I, I don't care how messed up your background is, where you came from, the way you were raised, I can work through you. If any of you are thinking, man, my situation is too messed up, there was too much abuse, there was too much anger, there, there was too much of this or too little of that, guess what? God's, God shows us, I can use anybody. You know the thing about these patriarchs, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these great men from the Bible? Let me let you in a little secret. Lots of their life wasn't so great, Okay? God didn't put them up here in the Bible and say, here's some perfect dudes that I picked because they were so great and so awesome, and you guys try to be just like them, and maybe I'll use you too, and maybe I'll work through you too. It's not what God did. They weren't, they weren't chosen because they were special. They were special because they were chosen. But God chose them knowing that they had faults and flaws and screw-ups in their lives. I mean, here's Jacob. He's got four baby mamas in today's terminology, okay? Uh, he, he's got sis, two, two sisters that are married to one another. All of these children, and they're all fighting and fussing, and they all want his attention, and he makes matters worse by showing favoritism. I mean, it's a horrible family situation. And God is showing us, you know what, I don't care what you've gone through, what you've done, what was done to you, What's in your past, what's in your present, guess what? I can work through you. Because you have to say, did Joseph ever look around and say, man, everybody hates me. <laughs> and, and this whole family screwed up. And uh, yeah, at least my dad, he kind of recognizes how great I am. But my brothers, they don't recognize how great I am. They don't like me. And he almost seems to taunt them back. But you know, he has dreams, and God works through those dreams despite all of the dysfunction around him. Number two, God can use you despite your own dysfunction. You know, we often look at the story of Joseph, and we often hold him up as this perfect, perfect guy, and he wasn't. Just because the Bible never says Joseph sinned, folks, just read the story. He was arrogant. He was prideful. He was judgmental so that he thought when the other guys went out to work, it was fine for him to come back and, hey, Dad, I, you know, I don't think they're really doing what they ought to do. He thought it was fine to wear around his jacket and show off to everyone. He thought it was fine to tell everybody else, hey, I had a dream. Kind of maybe it means that I'm going to be your ruler and your master. You know, I don't know. You interpret it for yourself, but here, here's how it is. I don't know whether you call all of those things sin. At least some of them are. But let's, let's tell the truth about Joseph. Joseph was the golden boy <laughs> And Joseph was also the kind of person that you would love to take down a notch. He's that kind of person 
that always has to be better than you, that always has to show you up. They always have to brag on how much better they have it than you do. Look, should his brothers have done what they'd done? No, absolutely, they shouldn't have. But you kind of sort of understand the feeling behind it because all of their life had been shoved in their face that he was the best-looking, that he was the child of the favorite mother, that, that he, had, he was the favorite of the father, that he had all these gifts. Constantly that was put in their face. And if you've ever dealt with favoritism, you understand that that's very hard. It's very difficult to fight against that. And look, he took it, <laughs> and he took every advantage that was given to him, and he enjoyed it. I want to tell you, God can use you not only despite the dysfunction around you, but the dysfunction in you, the pride, the arrogance, uh, the immaturity. Because Joseph had all those things going on in his life. Had God gifted him with an amazing gift? Absolutely. Did that mean, on the other hand, that he was spiritually mature? No, not at all. The Bible tells, gives us plenty of examples of places where he gifted people with great gifts, and yet they did not have the maturity to handle it. Uh, to me, Samson is the prime example of that. God gifted him with amazing strength and ability to lead and deliver his people. Well, he led and he fought and he delivered his people, but he did a whole bunch of bad stuff on top of it because he couldn't handle, he didn't have the maturity, he didn't choose to have to grow and to have the maturity that God wanted him to have and be the man that God wanted him to be. If you go to the New Testament, there's a whole book, a book of Corinthians, where Paul is talking about these knuckleheads and how gifted they are. And he never for a second says, you know what, they're fake Christians and these are fake gifts that are, you know, some powers that are given to them by Satan or demons. No, he never for a second says that. They're real Christians and they're really gifted and they're good at whatever they do, whether it was praying or preaching or singing or whether it was interpreting dreams or getting a word from the Lord, whatever it was. Paul said, you are amazing in your gifts, but you are wimpy in your spirituality and maturity, and so you're not handling those gifts correctly, and you need to grow up. And that is what Joseph needed, was to grow up. The visions and dreams that God gave him were absolutely true. There was going to come a day where one day all of his family would stand before him and bow. One day... He would be second in command over all of Egypt, which basically meant over all of that area of the east. He would be second only to Pharaoh. But the thing is, the timing was not yet ready. I've often heard it said that when God wants to make a man, he has to break a man. When God wants to use us, he has to grind away the rough edges and the difficulties in our lives, the things where we are immature and we are not ready to be used by him. So I want to say, whoever you are and wherever you're at today, God can use you. Probably not going to come in your timing. I can guarantee you Joseph didn't want to wait 12 or 13 years through all kind of suffering like he did until he got to that place where God was using him to do something for his kingdom purpose. We sing about waiting. It's always tough to wait. But God can use you. Despite the dysfunction 
in your family and in your surroundings, and despite the dysfunction within your own heart, God is not going to give up on you. If he's given you a gift, if he's given you a, a promise, and he has gifted each one of us, the Bible tells us, then he's going to keep working in your life. So if he's keeping on working, then you keep on working. You keep on trusting, you keep on believing, and God may pull you and send you into a place far from what you could ever imagine. That's certainly what he did with Joseph. But God can use you, whoever you are, if you're willing to let him. Would you bow with me? Father God, I come to you and, Lord, I... Um, I'm so glad that you use broken vessels. I'm so glad that you use the weak things of this world. God, I'm so glad that no matter what happens, you're not bound by my limitations. In fact, Lord, my limitations, all of our limitations, are, are just a means for your glory and goodness to really shine. Lord, if there's somebody here today and, God, they've been defeated their circumstances have gotten them down. Maybe it's their health. Maybe it's their bank account. Maybe it's a sin that they've tried to overcome and they can't seem to. Maybe it's a relationship that's not right. Maybe it's a goal that they've been blocked from attaining. God, whatever it is, if there's something that seems to be holding back and they're, they're discouraged and they've come to that point where they think, God's not going to use me. There's just too much of this junk. I've tried and I've failed and I'm not going to be used. God, help them to see today that no matter what junk is going on around them or even within them, Father, that they can trust you, God, and that your timing and your preparation and your plan, you can use them to do great things. Lord, bless us now as we go into this time of invitation. And God, may we all respond to whatever you've put on our hearts. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.